completing our series in Daniel on uncompromising faith. Next week, Pastor Shields is going to be doing Daniel chapter 7, but that's going to be kind of a bridge as we get into this next section, which will still be under the umbrella of being a lighthouse. But as I reflected back, it's been quite a journey in the book of Daniel here. I mean, we've taken a look at the pressure that we have to change not only our actions, but our thoughts, our beliefs, to bow down before the laws, before the uh, idols that powers that be have set up. We've also taken a look at the necessity of prayer throughout this, and we have seen the need for an uncompromising faith to be able to stand up in the fire, to be able to go in the de- into the lion's den. And we can only have this uncompromising faith when we cling to Jesus and his cross, the gospel. When we cling to Jesus, his cross, and the gospel, we can say that no matter what, no matter the circumstances, I trust in God in all things. Whether I live or die, I trust in him. Whether I'm rich or poor, I trust him in all things. Whether I'm surrounded by enemies on all sides, I still trust in him in all things. And that I know that Jesus is with me through it all. Remember, we talked about that. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus with us through it all. You see, to be the light of Christ in this world does take an uncompromising faith, one that draws a line in the sand. And we need Jesus and his cross to be able to do any of that. So this morning, we are going to touch upon one of those stories that everybody has heard about one shape, way, or another, It's Daniel and the lion's den. You can't do Daniel without doing Daniel and the lion's den. So, our roadmap this morning, five things. That we are to be an exemplary exemplary light, even when targeted. That we are to strengthen our faith through prayer, so that when thrown to the lions, God still gets the glory. So, let's talk about being an exemplary light. Daniel chapter three, uh, chapter six, verse three. Then, then this Daniel became distinguished above all of the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, by this time in Daniel, he's about eighty-five years old, and he is seen as someone who is truly distinguished without. Fault. And I think we can actually get a lesson from that immediately. That when you walk in the way of the Lord, when you walk in His righteousness, it affects your whole attitude and how people perceive you, right? I mean, you know of people, you know of people who are of great faith, and you seem to be drawn to them, whether that's because they have a calming spirit that you need or an infectious faith or somebody that lifts you up, they have the light of Christ in them. Daniel had that light, that faith in God. 
And we actually can circle all the way back to how we began our study in Daniel from the Gospel of Matthew in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As Christians, we are to live an exemplary life. I mean, we are. Not because we're trying to be goody-two-shoes. That's not it at all. We're not trying to just live that life because of we're just trying to be good. Because you and I have been called by Christ through the gospel. That in the gospel, you and I are new creations. And so we are to live according to the new life that we have in Christ. This is written about quite a bit in the New Testament. I gave you two readings that you might want to look up. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Colossians, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, when you walk according to the new life that you have, you burn brighter. Or to put it in another way, your wattage increases. Your bright bulb. It's funnier in my head. I thought I'd get a little more laugh at that. <laughs> All right. But I want you to notice Daniel, right? Daniel was 85 years old by that time. And his light hadn't decreased whatsoever. As a matter of fact, he was burning bright until the very end, 85 years old. So I think there's another lesson in this. The good Lord can use you and your light of faith to the very end. There is no retirement age when it comes to faith in God, in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. I know we live in a town where people come to retire, but you don't retire from faith in Christ. You don't retire from being the light of Him in this world. Even, even when you're targeted. So let's get to this next section. Even when you're targeted. There's, I'm going to read actually verses 4 and 5. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So you know the problem with being a light, right? The problem with being a light is that people, the darkness, wants to extinguish that light. Daniel was such a straight and narrow guy that the people in power were worried about him because they couldn't corrupt him. They couldn't get him with graft, with greed, with power, with other things. He was such a righteous man that he could not be corrupted, and thus they hated him. He was an enemy. They wanted to destroy him. That was back over 2,500 years ago. Have things changed now? 
No, they haven't, have they? When you are living an upright life, especially if you think politics right now, if you have principles and you stand for them, especially if there are Christian principles, you can expect to be an enemy. You can expect to be targeted. That was back in Daniel's day. That's the same as today. That you could actually expect to be targeted. And today, I don't know if you read the news much. Obviously, I do, with especially with what's going on in Christianity. I keep my finger on the pulse pretty pretty well here. There are hundreds of various lawsuits of Christians being targeted because of their faith. I'm going to give you one example uh, that's been in the news quite a bit, so you may know a little bit about this fellow, but I want to give a little bit more story. His name is Jack Phillips from Masterpiece Cake Shop. Who's heard of Jack Phillips, Masterpiece? A few folks? Okay. So he's a native of Colorado, and he opened up Masterpiece Cake Shop in 1993. He's a Christian, and his faith informs his work. He said this, God has chosen this bakery to do a lot of different things that we never planned and that we would never want to stop. So here's the backstory. In July 2012, nine years ago, nine years ago, two men came into his cake shop requesting a custom wedding cake celebrating their same-sex marriage. Jack politely declined. In a very brief exchange, he declined and said that he could not design cakes for same-sex weddings, but offered to design them custom cakes for other occasions or sell them anything else in the shop. So they filed a, law, they, they filed a complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission for sexual orientation discrimination. Even after explaining to the commission that it wasn't the people Jack objected to, it was the message the cake would send about marriage. An administrative law judge ruled against him in December of 2013, saying that designing and creating cakes for same-sex wedding ceremonies are not speech protected by the First Amendment. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this next section. One commissioner even called Jack's religious defense a despicable piece of rhetoric and compared Jack to perpetrators of the Holocaust. The commission ordered Jack and his staff to either violate Jack's faith by designing same-sex custom wedding cakes or stop designing wedding cakes at all, which amounts to 40% of his business. In addition, Jack was ordered to re-educate his staff by teaching them he was wrong to operate a business consistently with his faith. The state also required Jack to file quarterly compliance reports telling the government every time he declined a custom cake request and explaining the reason why. So you got the fuller story here. Now, it ultimately ended up going to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled in Jack's favor, and they said that the commission has specifically and egregiously targeted him because of his faith. 
That was in 2018. So it took six years to wind through the court. Do you think the story would be done? But no, uh, a, 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 a lawyer in Denver sued him. In 2019, he was sued by a man who said that Phillips wouldn't make a cake that celebrated his transition from male to female. Now, he was targeted specifically regarding his faith. If you stand up for God and his word, if you stand up for Christ Jesus and his gospel, expect at some point to be targeted. Now, it may not be as serious as Jack Phillips was. You might not get sued or go to court or anything like that. But people will put pressure on you, right? And we've talked about that throughout the series. They will want to dim your faith, your light. But this should not be a surprise at all. Because the true light of the world They did the same thing to Jesus, even though he had done nothing wrong. This would probably be good for you to go back through Luke chapter 23. But Luke chapter 23, starting verse 20. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I found no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. If they did that to Jesus, should we not expect that to us as well? As a matter of fact, go back over the gospel reading from today. Jesus said we should expect such things. And that is why we need to be strengthened through prayer. Let's go on here. Daniel chapter 6, 10 and 11. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in the upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had previously done. Then these, men care, then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making a petition and a plea before God. You know, when we think about Daniel, we think about the fiery furnace, right? The, the stories of Daniel, the fiery furnace. We think about the lion's den and all the visions and the prophecies. But really, when you take a look at Daniel, you find two things throughout. You find that Daniel was a man of great faith and of great prayer. It says he prayed three times a day. So this would be morning, afternoon, and evening that he would have been praying. So morning would have been around nine, afternoon, three, sometime in the evening. By the way, I've looked through the Old Testament. I can't find any command that says pray three times a day. So there's no command in there that says you must pray at these particular times. But it was associated with the sacrifices at the temple, and so people started to naturally pray at those times. We find this also going over into the New Testament. In the New Testament, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, when he was in the 
temple before John the Baptist was born, where Gabriel came to him, it says this. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The ninth hour would have been 3 p.m. So, are we under the same tradition of prayer times that Daniel was or that they were in the New Testament? No, we aren't, are we? As a matter of fact, we are encouraged to pray at all times without ceasing. That is how we are to pray. But at the same time, it's good to have time set away as a practice of prayer. Heidi and I, we take time, we practice to pray in the morning. Before I come to church, we pray together. It's a practice that we have. By the way, if you are married, I would encourage you to have a practice of prayer with your spouse. It will do much, much good in your marriage. So we are, we are to be practiced in our prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer is worship and praise. Prayer is lifting up your most heartfelt needs to God. When you pray, you strengthen your faith, your trust in God. And the more practiced you are in prayers, the stronger you are in relationship to God especially when it matters. The more practiced you are in your prayers, when tough time comes, you can take it to the Lord in prayer. Now, I would encourage you this week, if you don't have a practice of prayer, go through Psalm 25. The Psalms are really, in many cases, prayer praise and prayer to the Lord. And there were many of them were written by David. And David was in trouble a lot. He was being pursued by Saul. So he really was hemmed in by enemies. I'm going to read just a little bit of Psalm 25, some sections in there. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not, put, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. This is a heartfelt prayer to God. So Daniel prayed. And it says that he prayed towards Jerusalem. Now there's, there's no command that you have to pray towards Jerusalem, unlike Islam, which says you must pray to Mecca five times a day. In this case, Daniel had his heart, his face, so to say, on Jerusalem. Because remember, they were still in Babylonian captivity at the time. So he had his heart, his face towards Jerusalem. 
But we come to one very, very important part of this whole account regarding Daniel and prayer is that he prayed with an open window. He kept his window open while he prayed. Even though there was a decree that you could not pray or give any petitions to anything other than the king at that time, lest you die, Daniel said, no, my faith is over that. I will not change my faith or the practice of my faith because of what the powers of be say. Daniel was willing to live his faith publicly, even if it meant his death. Now, in our culture today, more and more Christians are told, be quiet. Keep your faith to yourself. You can have faith all you want, but don't ever mention it in the public square. It could be something that's very small aspect of your faith. It could be something much larger aspect of your faith. I'll give you one example. So, you know, I wear this cross all the time. And I worked in the business setting. And when I was working at Best Buy Corporate, I was an instructional trainer, a classroom instructor, teacher in business. And I wore my cross. And we would get evaluations after each class, you know, how'd the class go, what'd you learn, that sort of stuff. And occasionally, I would get some comments about my cross. It was too big. I'm serious, too big. You should wear it inside your shirt. One guy who I'm pretty sure was Muslim uh, wrote the harshest comment that it was an offense to him and other Muslims, which actually the cross would be an offense to him. Some people I found out even went to HR and talked to HR about it. Luckily, HR knew the laws, so nothing came back to me about it. But that was a little thing, right? Be quiet. Put, you can have your faith, but just don't let anybody know about it. That's on a small thing. Now, by the way, when I first started out, when I first got across this big, and to me it's like not big now, I was kind of nervous, like I was going to be targeted. But you know what? It's my birthday. I'm still alive. <laughs> right? Nothing happened. And you know what? I have grown stronger and more bold in my faith. I keep the window open. Because in Christ Jesus, we need not fear. Right? That's what's said throughout the scripture. Fear not, fear not, fear not. So let me give you another example. During COVID, it's been alarming how much churches have been pressured to change how they do it, what they do regarding their faith and the expression of that faith. Now, hear me clearly. I am not saying COVID is not real. I had COVID, for goodness sakes. I know it was not fun. I know it can be deadly. So I'm not saying any of that. I am now talking about powers that be targeting churches because of their beliefs. Okay? So let me give you an example here. There is a fellow named Pastor Artur Pulowski, Street Church in Canada. Okay? In April, and there was a video that went out on the internet, there was a, a 
video, the health officials came, and it was either Monday, Thursday, or Good Friday. I think it might have been the Good Friday service. They came on Good Friday to interrupt his service. And there's a video of him yelling at him, get out of here, you Nazis, get out of here. You have no search warrant, you have nothing. And he shooed them out. He just yelled them out of the church. Now, you might think that's over the top, calling them Nazis. But he grew up in communist Poland. And in communist Poland, they were told by the government to call the the brutal Russian dictator Grandpa Stalin. Now, if you know anything about Stalin, you know how much of a brutal dictator and murderer he was. Uh, Pastor Artur says, the government wants to be your God. So he eventually came to Canada. Good Friday, they came. Then they came back on May 8th with the proper paperwork and everything. And they charged him. You want to know what they charged him with? Inciting people to come to church. How is that a crime? Inciting people to come and worship and praise. But it's not just him. From another article. While refusing to present any medical and scientific evidence in court to justify public health orders, the Alberta government has gained international notoriety by jailing three different pastors. So there is a targeting. This is just one example, and there are many examples out there. By the way, I found it interesting. He said this recently, the pastor Artur said this recently to a group of people. He said, stand in the fire. You will be free. Doesn't that sound like Daniel? Stand in the fire. You will be free. I thought that was just so appropriate. When you have that faith, and you are shining brightly, you can be targeted, and you can be thrown into the lion's den. Verse 16 and 17. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den, den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So, the lion's den. The lion's den would have been most likely uh, a cavern in the side of a hill or a cliff. So the lions could go in down below. They would seal it or put a gate up there. And then they had a hole on top, much like you see in the picture there. So the hole on top was where you could drop in food or you could take a gate that was separating two sections and move it over, open, close, things like that. So what they would do, they would literally throw people in this pit of very hungry lions because they wouldn't feed them enough to really satisfy them, so they would be hungry. So they would devour whoever was thrown in the pit. And the king sealed it up. So nobody, and I mean nobody, 
could mess with it. But notice that the king had a change of heart, it seems. It seems like he might have had a change of heart because he says, may your, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Some commentators say that's sarcastic. I don't know. I, I see kind of the whole scope of it where he has dreams and he's kept up and he goes up in the morning anxiously to see what's going on. I think the Lord God is actually working on him. That he's pointing to something the king actually wants to happen. So he gets to this uh, in, the, in the morning. He says in a tone of anguish, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Notice he didn't just say, Daniel, are you alive? He prefaces it with everything of God. O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to to deliver you from the lions. And Daniel answers him, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Now, who was the angel? Again, just like in the fiery furnace, we don't know who the angel was. Could it have been Jesus? It certainly could have been Jesus. But no matter what, It was a messenger from God, doing God's work. And what did the messenger do? What did the angel do? The angel saved the righteous servant from certain death. I think one could say that this is a foreshadow of what happens with Christ Jesus and thus you and me saving the righteous from certain death. God saved Jesus, his righteous servant, from eternal death, so that through him we are saved unto eternal life. It's not that we are so righteous because we aren't, but because Christ Jesus is so righteous. And God in his grace and mercy gives us the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God. And thus we are saved from eternal death unto eternal life. I think that's a foreshadowing of what occurs in Daniel. And notice in all of this, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. So the miracle, the miracle of Daniel and the lion's den wasn't to show how wonderful Daniel was, but how great God is. The text here, see if I've got it. Verse 25 through 27. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and to fear before God of Dan, the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. So that key phrase in there, he delivers and rescues. The king knew 
how great God was because of this miracle that had happened. Same thing that happened with King Nebuchadnezzar. Now this king knew of the awesome power of God that even though Darius had earthly dominion, he would still die, that his power didn't extend everywhere. But the God who is a living God, not a dead God of idols, but a living God, rescues, delivers. Is this not God? Is this not Christ Jesus? Our Redeemer who rescues us from sin. And King Darius says, everybody really needs to worship him, to tremble before him with that fear, the awe, the respect. Paul wrote about this too in Philippians. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, everybody wants to make the story of Daniel and the lion's den about what happened in the den itself. But you notice we really have almost no information other than an angel shut up the mouths. What's the important part here? The important part is that God delivers he rescues. God is sovereign over all things. And that we are to have faith in him throughout and never to be ashamed. Never, never be ashamed. So for you, a couple things to think about this week. Are you practiced or strengthened in prayer? Will you keep open the window of your faith? to say, I'm a Christian in the world, and it's okay, and I can publicly be a Christian in the world. You know, one of the easiest things you can actually do, when you go to a restaurant, before you eat, pray together. Pray together. You will be a light unto other people, even in that small act. And finally, are you living a life under Christ and his gospel? You want to be a light under the world? Follow Christ Jesus and his gospel. And to that, everybody says, amen. Amen.